Blog Talk Radio. Live from Southern California and broadcasting worldwide on Wealth Radio. A tax lawyer prescribing a dose of truth for entrepreneurs. A voice of common sense for the small business owner. And don't get him started on saving taxes. This is the Mark Kohler Show. Mark Kohler Show. Kohler Show. Well, welcome everybody to today's show. My name is Mark Kohler. Excited to be here with you, and I'm excited to announce my co-host, Matt Sorensen. Yes. Sorry, I don't... There we it's go. It's not just the Mark Kohler show right now. It's not. It's not. And soon to be, folks, as you know, we are rebranding the show, and uh, we'll be making some special announcements. But uh, I think we're going to be... The, you know, the partner duo, duo here uh, co-hosting in perpetuity. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, we're going to be like, you know, your local morning show when you're driving in the office, the guy and the girl, you know, we'll do that little that little dance. I, yeah, I just want to be the guy. You can be the girl. So that's what good we'll with do. me. <laughs> well, I think it's going to be a great show. Welcome all for the uh, view that are new listeners. Uh, we've been recording the show live for eight plus years every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific. We hope that you're listening in live if you can. If not, I know many, many, many of our listeners catch this on podcast through iTunes or on Blog Talk Radio. We're here to talk about saving taxes, building wealth, making money. And today we have an awesome show on branding. We've got an incredible guest. We're excited uh, to have Denise Yon coming on, uh, author, uh, speaker, amazing. Gosh, I don't. the list is amazing. I'll be introducing her uh, shortly here in a, uh, as we bring her on closer to the bottom of the hour. But uh, until then, we've got our regular experts, and we're, regular, we're just ready to rock and roll, have some fun, and just talk about that American dream. All right, Mark. So uh, I don't have I don't know who our legal and tax tipsters are. So you're the purveyor of all the information right now. Well, we'll we'll bring those guys out here. We I know we've got Liddell uh, coming on as uh, a partner at K&E CPAs, giving us some tax tips here in this heavy, busy tax season. So we'll have Liddell uh, come out here shortly. But uh, I don't know if we had any current events, current news. I know Matt, we're going to be adding some of these little formats to the new show. In the, in the future, mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you have any any special little news tidbits, uh, some important tips that you wanted to let our listeners know about? Well, I wanted to highlight my article in the blog really quickly here um, that was on the, in the newsletter, and maybe give some speaking updates of where we're going to be speaking in the next couple of weeks. So um, I, that sounds that sounds great. I was thinking more of an update on Bachelor last night. Um, I, I couldn't believe Chris, you know, let Caitlin go. I uh, I was pulling for Caitlin, but were you? I, you know, luckily my wife and, and daughters are not into that show, so um, I have not had to be subjected to that cruel, unusual punishment of watching <laughs> that terrible television. 
Well, I, you know, this is this is real life. This is serious. You know, Chris is out in Iowa oh, looking yeah. for a wife, and if it wasn't for the yeah. bachelor, he'd just be out there still being a bachelor. So, uh, you know, is this the to, farmer? Is this the farmer? Yeah, guy? this is the farmer. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I have heard narrowed a down, about him. Yeah, so he's narrowed it down to Becca and Whitney. Um, yeah, I I was devastated. I was rooting for Carly, and uh, Jade dropped the bomb that she posed for Playboy, so the parents didn't like that, so she's out. But it's, oh, yeah, you can't bring her back to Mom and Dad. <laughs> no, no, yeah. You, you can't say, Mom, I'm bringing her home. And uh, by the way, don't Google uh, don't Google her. her. She's not good. <laughs> you don't want to throw that down at the family dinner. So, uh, But anyway, okay, so uh, so instead of Bachelor updates, folks, if you, if you haven't been TV-voted on it, and because I have teenage daughters, I am subjected to the show, and uh, it's it's the how we bond. But uh, let's move on to our newsletter. Yes, many of you have hopefully had a chance to look at the newsletter. Matt, you were going to mention uh, your blog article and some – boy, we've got lots of things coming up where people can get some yeah. great info. Yeah, I just wanted to mention my blog article and give a a quick little thought on it, which is I talked to a lot of people about umbrella insurance. And um, a lot of people say, well, I have an umbrella policy, so I don't need any asset protection or any legal planning. I got an umbrella policy. And I think what a lot of people don't understand about an umbrella insurance policy is the only thing an umbrella insurance policy does if you buy one is it adds on coverage to what you already have insurance coverage for. It doesn't give you any new coverage. So if I have an auto policy and a, let's say a general business liability policy, and I buy a $1 million umbrella policy, that $1 million of umbrella insurance goes on top of the auto policy and on top of the existing general business liability insurance or property insurance if it's a rental. So it doesn't protect more things or protect anything else. It just gives you more insurance if those two insurance policies, in the example, have coverage and you exceed the limits. And it should really be called like excess insurance because it's it's the umbrella. I think is a great marketing tool, but a lot of people um, have uh, improperly understood that. And I go through a client example of a client I had who tried to get coverage under an umbrella policy and and learn this the hard way in the blog article. So um, an important tip there I just wanted to highlight in the show. And uh, I also just wanted to add a little uh, insurance uh, question for you, Mark. Um, And that is, uh, if you're a transformer, do you buy auto insurance or life insurance? I, I'd double up. I'd get both. You, know, <laughs> double up, okay. you, know, you, you Just a, like your blog article, there could be a nightmare. I want to have double insurance. and uh, It is a little different than Aflac, too, kind of that, that extra medical insurance where you can kick your kids down the stairs and get some cash real quick down at <laughs> the emergency room, but I don't recommend that either. But, yeah, yeah this umbrella insurance is a, a very misunderstood, so I'm glad you wrote on it. It's a great article. Um, folks, you can get it on Matt's blog through the, any of the websites there at the Law and Accounting Firm and, and also on the newsletter. And we've got a, a number of uh, speaking events coming up here. Uh, Matt, you're going to be in San Diego this weekend. Yep, I'll be in San Diego at the Hilton and Mission Beach speaking on using a self-directed IRA to invest in notes and real estate at the Note Investor Summit. Uh, it should be. It looks like a great event. A lot of other good speakers there. So details are in the newsletter. And then you're going out to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Mark. Yeah, I'll be in Atlanta. A little cooler than San Diego, uh, at least temperature-wise. So uh, 
lots of definitely not in style, not cooler stylizer no, no, or any other no. coolness factor. But <laughs> yeah, if if eighty percent of the country's in a deep freeze, uh, being in San Diego this week listening to Matt Sorensen would be a treat in in more ways than one. So if you want to jump on a there flight, folks, come down and catch Matt. But on the newsletter, we have all of the upcoming speaking events and a lot of good stuff. I'll be at a San Diego Investment Club um, just two weeks from now. And or gosh, a week and a half, and then Matt's back in Arizona. I'll be in Honolulu. So we're trying to create those warm events for you folks out there so that you can jump on a quick Southwest flight and come join us. Um, we've got a webinar uh, tonight, Strategies for Selling a Property or Business. I'm going to be going through 1031 exchanges, which are getting more and more popular, Charitable Remainder Trust, installment sales. Uh, there's some important tax deadlines. We've got 1099s due. Uh, folks uh, by the end of the week so keep that in mind and uh, boy I've got some good articles uh, I like Matt's and I've also got a little article in there on the five hot tax deductions to consider before you file your tax return and some piercing the corporate veil and protecting yourself stuff so lots of free information there folks if you haven't signed up for the newsletter please do and if I use the word folks again Matt I want you to cut me off on the show I, I cannot use that word again uh, it's not good. So, okay. So, without any further ado, there could be worse words ex- to you. That's all right. Just be folksy today. That's, That's all right. Yeah, I'll be folksy. Yeah, I just didn't <laughs> say folks. I said folksy. Okay. So we've got uh, Liddell Air, a regular contributor to the show, and incredible uh, pedigree of CPA experience in the heat of tax season. Liddell, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. It's good to be on. It's good. To, it's good to know I have a pedigree too. Yeah, well, oh, a very distinguished pedigree. <laughs> very distinguished. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, I guess we talked. <laughs> we talked about this last time when you came on the show. It's, this is the deadline for all the hunts. Have you got your application in for the hunts this fall? I have not yet. It's coming up though. Ooh. Yeah. I, I was just telling my son this morning we got to get that done. So I know I've got to. Got to get yours done too. I know I might put in an app this year. Can you guys imagine me coming from my little surfer town of Southern California? I'll be trouncing around the mountains with Liddell with my thirty out six over my shoulder. I don't know. Well, maybe this fall. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, so <laughs> Liddell, what do you got for us? I know you got a tip. You're in the heat of tax season, looking over tax returns every minute. What do you got? I know it's kind of crazy right now, and it won't get any better for another six eight weeks. So. Anyway, what I wanted to do is quickly talk a little bit about today it has to do with IRAs. I know you and Matt are experts on this kind of stuff and always talking about IRAs and self-directed IRAs. And, you know, one one of the benefits of IRAs is obviously the tax deferral, you know, with a traditional or Roth IRA. But you can also work them into your estate plan, being able to stretch them over time. So you you can pass them on to the next generation's. Um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about that, stretching your IRA over generations, and the f- maybe five points to be aware of. And the first one is you always should be aware of who your IRA beneficiaries are. Um, always keep that, you know, always know who they are, have the documents to show who they are, and keep that in line so that you know where your IRAs are going, who who is going to be the beneficiaries of, of those. Um Point number two would make sure you name successor beneficiaries in case, you know, one of your original beneficiaries passes away or something happens, they become incapacitated, whatever it may be, make sure you have some successor beneficiaries on there also. 
um, because you can you can use those life expectancies of whoever the beneficiaries are. Number three, don't this you know this is kind of a recommendation. Don't withdraw any more than your required minimum distribution if you want to pass it on. You know, once you reach reach age 70 and a half, you have to take that required minimum distribution every year. And so if you can get by on retirement and you want to save that for the heirs of your estate, maybe just try to take the minimum required minimum distribution and don't take any more than that. Number four, um, when you die as being the IRA owner, you know, those the life expectancies of the beneficiaries is what those RMDs get calculated, required minimum distributions get calculated on. So, and generally those are younger than the owner. You know, it might be a kid, it might be a grandkid, whatever it may be, and, and they can take that money out and spread it out over a, a larger number of years than what you could, you know, being in the 70s. And number five, um, that I was going to mention is if there are multiple beneficiaries, make sure you set up separate accounts for each one. Don't combine them all. Make sure each one gets a separate IRA account based on that. And wow, we awesome. Run, and, and one more yeah. last point is we ran into this once or twice the last year or two is people, I don't know if it's the IRA custodian, whoever it may be, not making people aware of a required minimum distribution, but we have had one or two clients that did not take out the required minimum distribution once they turned 70 and a half, and I wanted to mention the penalty with that, and and it's and the penalty is really steep. It's actually 50% of your required minimum distribution, so you want to be aware of that, that you know, if you were required to take out 10,000 and you only took out five, well, that meant you should have taken out five more, so the penalty would be 2500 So I just want people to be aware. Make sure you're aware of when you turn 70 and a half, if you have IRAs, and then the other five items I mentioned. Well, if I'm not aware of when I'm 70 and a half, you have the, your permission, Liddell, to come over and uh, slap me upside the head. So I think, I think I'll know when that, that day comes. But, boy, talk about IRAs. This, this is like uh, – foreplay for Matt Sorensen. I mean, this is right up. Matt, you love this. <laughs> oh, topic, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is foreplay. I'm, I'm going to go in for a for a big hug, hug and kiss here. Um, <laughs> I got a good pedigree. You know, so. Yeah, that is true. Very distinguished pedigree. So, <laughs> I love those tips. You know, I think uh, I get those questions all the time. And one of the other ones I was just going to say, too, is um, on those beneficiary designations that you were talking about, Liddell, too, um, you always want to list your spouse first um, because your spouse can, if you pass away, can inherit your IRA, and they can actually just roll it over to their IRA, which is a special spousal rollover rule, um, whereas the kids, as you mentioned, they, they there's some perks there in that they can, um, uh, you know, take it over their life expectancy. So Now, but did you know, Liddell, that Obama wants to force work? Required minimum required minimum distributions on Roth IRAs, which is you know right now one of the big perks if you have a Roth IRA is you don't even need to worry about required minimum distributions when you're seventy and a half. You can leave that money in tax free as long as you as long as you want. But that's uh, one of the proposals in Obama's latest budget is to get rid of, um, or sorry, I should say to start requiring required minimum distributions for Roth IRAs. Well, Obama's just like the rest of us, always looking for a way to increase revenue. 
You want to know the good news, though? <laughs> He's never had his budget passed, so that's the good news. <laughs> so it's probably not going to be reality. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, you know, and, and, awesome. and I want to kind of add to that a little bit, too, is people just, you know, they set up their IRA and they put their beneficiaries down and then they go just start contributing and doing their thing and, you know, they get 20 years down the road, and they might have forgot who that beneficiary is. And so maybe they got remarried. Maybe they, you know, something happened to one of the kids or something. So always be aware of who those beneficiaries are. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is a great point, and I tell a story on a regular basis in my classes of um, clients that, or stories and, and news articles of people dying and they never change it from their first wife or first husband and life insurance is going in the wrong place and it's the same thing with IRAs and 401ks. It can be a disaster. Um, so especially if there's major life changes, um, it's a great time to review uh, your estate plan and, and stuff. But Liddell, great topic. I love it. Thank you so much. It's good stuff. All right. I'll get back at it. Yeah, get, get back to those tax returns. They're waiting for you. <laughs> thanks for that. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks. That, folks, again. Oh, I said, folks, listeners, please know that was Liddell Air, our uh, senior partner at K&E CPAs, helping look over your tax returns at uh, the accounting firm. And, boy, busy time tax season. So uh, if you need Liddell, you, you can uh, try and make an appointment. It might need to be after the 15th, but uh, just give us a call if you want to get that tax advice and See how we can help you out. Okay, well, our next uh, tipster, a regular contributor, is Kevin Kennedy out of the Phoenix office of KKOS Lawyers, helping clients nationwide in their business planning, asset protection, estate planning. He does it all. Uh, Kevin's a huge resource for our clients, again, all over the country. Kevin, welcome to the show. Matt, Mark, folks, how's everybody doing? (laughs) Well done. Well done. Yeah, touche. Hey, by the yeah, way, guys, Kevin's great. calling in over here. Just by, by the way, Kevin's calling in from the uh, east wing of the Phoenix office. I'm over here on the west wing. Just want to let everybody know that. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, hey, guys. Um, by the way, nice articles. I mean that. Uh, good video too, Mark. I, I think that uh, all the listeners, if they if they don't, you know, those articles are great, and that video. Uh, and Matt, I really appreciated the joke that Matt put at the end there of his article. That was that was good. Yeah, dude. I, I even put my transformer joke in the article in my blog article, Mark. I just uh, ooh, wow. I thought it was that really funny. Joke. I mean, I didn't I didn't get a laugh from Kohler, but I thought it was kind of funny. I mean, we're talking I, about I, picking I, insurance I, policies. You know, a transformer joke. Why not? I, I thought it was good. It was good. I no, I, I'm I'm proud of you for working some humor into your uh, legal. Uh, blogs, that's amazing. So anybody yeah. that can do that, more power to you. I love it. <laughs> All right, I'll carry on with it. Well, and I I appreciate you mentioning the video. Uh, every week um, I, I try to shoot a video for our YouTube channel, and uh, I know Matt's coming to the studio here in California while he's going to San Diego to shoot a bunch of videos, so you'll see more, uh, a, a, more videos from Matt. But uh, this week's video is what not to do in a partnership. And there are so many mistakes people make when they start partnering with others, and that video highlights several. So if you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, please do. Check out the link right there on the newsletter and watch the, the quick go. It's fun, it's easy, it's free, and just a, a tip or two when it comes to partnerships. But 
But Kevin, what do you got for us today? <laughs> All right, I'll get to it. So, so this tip is is for those listeners who I guess call them a subset are self-employed listeners. So, so I'm I'm talking about those whose self-employment arises because they have received a license, a professional license from the state. So, you know, your realtors, your attorneys, your doctors, accountants, architects, etc. So, recently I've had a few of these types of clients who've, you know, come to us. They want an entity set up for them. You know, they've watched your guys' videos, been to your workshops. They're excited to save on self-employment taxes. So, you know, I, I, I assure them, you know, we'll make sure that their entity gets taxed as an S-Corp. Uh, but I just want to bring up four things to keep in mind for for those types of clients. Again, realtors, attorneys, doctors, anyone who who has received a you know a license a professional license to perform services from from the state. So, uh okay, number 1 um which entity can you use? So, you know, all of this is going to be driven by uh not uh not only the state you're in but also the industry you're in. So, you know, in some states you're going to be limited to basically setting up what's called either a professional corporation or a PC or a professional limited limited liability company or a PLLC. Other states, you know, like I know in California, you can use an LLP. So uh, tip number one is just knowing what entities are available to you uh, and, and what restrictions may exist there. So number two uh, has to do with the name of the entity. So, you know, under um, typical if circumstances... Go ahead. Kevin, if I could interject something real quick, too. I think your first point is a good one, and a lot of people uh, get into problems because they'll go form their entity. I, I recently worked with a chiropractor, excellent um, chiropractor. I love chiropractic, by the way. My back could use a little adjustment this morning. But um, I, he went out, got his entity set up on LegalZoom, and just thought, got cranking away. And then, sure enough, he got a notice from the state licensing organization for chiropractors that he had the wrong type of entity. So he had to go back and redo it. He had to get new tax ID numbers. It meant a new merchant account. He did have some insurance um, programs already set up that had to get the new tax ID number. And so it was just a big headache. And so uh, for any of you that are coming out of school or jumping ship from a firm you're in and setting up your own entity, um, and Kevin, you may be getting to this, but it's really going to the Department of Professional Licensing, DOPL or whatever. Different states have different acronyms. But going on their website for your specific professional uh, designation, and, and a lot of this is laid out, so it doesn't have to be a lot of guesswork. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the broadest tip of. I mean, that kind of encompasses my four minor tips. Is basically if if you fall into one of these categories, if you've you know if you're a, a chiropractor or realtor, attorney, you know, architect, doctor, if you'll go to the licensing entity where you got your license, they'll usually lay out what restrictions are, uh, you know, in place, what entities you can use. Um, so, yeah, exactly, Mark. I completely agree with that. And and part of the subset of that broader tip is, is the name of the entity, for example. So just knowing, you know, that, hey, under normal circumstances, the name of your entity can really be whatever you want it to be. But just knowing that, you know, depending on your state and depending on what industry you're in, you may be limited to the name you can use. So, for example, in Arizona, a realtor, in 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 most circumstances, is going to just be the name of their entity will just be their name. So, John Doe, PLLC. So, but yeah, definitely checking uh, uh, what's available in your state because 
what can happen is if you have a realtor buddy in Florida and you're kind of piggybacking on what, what he did, but you're in California, well, what may be true in Florida may not be in California. So it's best to just go to the source, uh, which is, yeah, the Department uh, of Real Estate, the Bureau of Real Estate, you know, whatever entity it is that uh, issued your license. Uh, the last two quick tips I want to bring up has to do with partners. Uh, so, again, we're talking about attorneys, realtors. If you want to bring someone on as a partner, if you'll just go to the, the licensing uh, board's website, they'll usually tell you what restrictions there may be uh, because, obviously, under normal circumstances, you can have your neighbor be a partner, you know, bring in a family member, whoever you want. Uh, but, you know, for example, in Arizona, uh, if you're a realtor, in order to bring on other uh, partners, they also need to be realtors. Now, that's not true in every state. So again, it's just checking what's what's true in your state and knowing that if you want to bring in your spouse, in some cases you may be able to do that under with certain states, but uh, not always. So uh, just checking that. And then the last thing is, and, and you kind of mentioned this, Mark. You know, some in some circumstances you'd have to actually register the entity with the governing board. So again, in Arizona, for example, a realtor who sets up an entity. Uh, they need to register that with the Department of Real Estate. But in other states, you know, you may not need to do that. Uh, or in other states, like I think California, unless you're a broker, you can't do that. So long story short, these are the point of this is, you know, these types of entities for our, our professionals, our self-employed professionals, are a little bit more complex. Uh, you'd probably be advised to, you know, set, set up a, an appointment with an attorney who can help you navigate through that. Um, and like you said, I mean, if, if something is set up wrong, you know, it's not fatal. It just may mean you have to change some things around, maybe change the entity name, you know, converting it to a, a PC or, you know, and you may have some residual effects changing the bank account information and, and so on. So anyway, if anyone has any questions about that, guys, they can certainly reach out to me, uh, Kevin at KKOSLawyers.com or uh, by phone, area code 602-761-9798. Okay, well, thanks, Kevin. Good tip. Um, a lot of professors out there who, you know, should be incorporated for liability purposes and to save on self-employment taxes, but uh, getting it done the right way can mean whether you get a commission or a paycheck or can actually open up your bank account or, or operate properly. So thanks for the tip. Appreciate it. Yeah, good stuff, Kevin. Thanks so much, and uh, keep living the dream down there. <laughs> All right, guys. Arizona. That, that wonderful summer weather down there in Arizona. got to love it. It's beautiful right now. Tell you what. Folks, come on down. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> Spring training. Spring training. Kevin, thanks. We'll catch you in a few weeks. Appreciate you coming on the show. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks, guys. Well, uh, our, our wonderful listeners, this is actually a fantastic transition from Kevin's conversation about setting up your the proper entity and understanding what the name should be and and all those issues when you take your professional license and go hang out your shingle. And for all of our listeners, you would typically not be listening to this show if you at least didn't own some investment property on the side or are a full-fledged 100%, 110% entrepreneur every day of the week, you know, 18 hours a day. So for for many of our listeners, this next topic is a huge one, and that's all about branding. Uh, if you just joined us, uh, after we work through our tips for our, our show and some tax and legal tips that hopefully impact you on a given week and uh, help you and your family, again, better live your American dream, it's now 
time for our special guest. And we are so excited to have Denise Yon join us, author of the book, What Great Brands Do, The Seven Brand Building Principles. She's a phenomenal speaker. She, I, I've had a chance to work with her a little through the Entrepreneur Magazine organization and speak at some events with her. I've been able to see her speak live. She's just uh, an influential writer and speaker and brand expert. Her book is fantastic. And uh, she's a regular contributor, too, to the Harvard Business Review blog, the Forbes Seeking Alpha. Uh, she writes a monthly column, uh, uh, Brand New Perspectives, to QSR Magazine. And she regularly appears on Fox Business uh, TV as a commentator on breaking uh, business breaking news. So this is just so uh, – we are so lucky to have her with us and talk about branding and how many of you that have your small business really – should be thinking about about branding more often, and the, and the issues and how it relates to your marketing plan. So, uh, gosh, without any further ado, uh, Denise, thanks for joining us. We're so excited to have you here. Thanks, Mark. What a terrific introduction. Well, you know, it's uh, we try to do our best to make you feel welcome. <laughs> and uh, and I'll, I'll pay you that twenty bucks I owe you now. Right? Yeah, there you go. And uh, you, I know you've been listening for a little bit here on the show, so you've heard a second voice. And of course, Denise, I've got my partner and co-host uh, Matt Sorensen, and he's uh, oftentimes covers the show when I'm not available, and vice versa. And where he'll he'll be thrown out. So if you hear this other voice just come out of nowhere, it's not okay. God speaking to you. It's Matt Sorensen. <laughs> oh darn! Yeah, it has yeah, the same effect. Though, you know, same amount of Great. authority, but uh, <laughs> no. Well, thanks for being on. I'm uh, excited to learn about this topic. This is something I am weak at and need to learn more about. So um, I'm going to be tuning in just like every other listener, and hopefully coming up with something smart to say every once in a while. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, well, Denise, I, I guess um, just to kind of set the tone here, um, I think a lot of people, when they think of branding, they start thinking of the big companies, you know, and, and I know you've consulted with a lot of these, uh, Wiley, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, you, you've, you've worked with those big hitters on a, on a regular basis, but but small business owners, are, I think, are mistaken. I, I, I really, and I know you talk about this. Small business owners need to be thinking about branding just as much. Can you tell us what the argument? Why they, why people should not think it's just a big corporate strategy, and why small business owners really need to think about brands as well. Mm-hmm. Well, in order to answer that question, I first need to clarify that when we talk about branding or brands, that we're not simply talking about a logo or a name or a marketing campaign or a website or anything like that. Those are elements of your branding, and they um, should serve to express and communicate what your brand is all about. But um, in the research that I've done, what I've discovered is that great brands consider their brands um, more uh, as a management tool that they use to fuel, align, and guide everything that their organizations do. And it's this more complete um, foundational understanding of brand that I think has really made them, has helped them become a great brand. So with that as a starting point, hopefully that then becomes um, kind of a no-brainer as to why you need to pay attention to your brand, whether you're small, big, whether you're, new or established, whether you're B2C, business to consumer, or B2B, business to business, or any other, you know, kind of differentiator, a brand is a critical part of a business, of an organization. 
Well, as you talk about that brand driving most of your decision making, that mm-hmm. I I love that because I guess you're being true to your brand and what you're trying to how you're trying to differentiate yourself. I'm trying to think of an example like even a landscaper that's out there trying to be create their brand as a landscaper and what what decisions would drive who they hire and what bids and jobs they bid on and I don't know. Do you have an example of yeah. something? I hate to put you on yes, the spot I there do. too. What? And I, no, I love I love that you picked this category because you know people often also say, oh well, branding's great if you if you're like in a fashion category or if maybe you work in sporting goods or food, you know. But what about me? I, I you know I just I, I work in landscaping or I you know have software or I'm a tax preparer, you know whatever, you know. Um, you know, industries and businesses that people might consider to be a little dry, maybe kind of boring, maybe a little unsexy. And what I discovered is that there are great brands in all of these categories. And one of them is a, is a brand that I came to know called Heartwood Tree. They are a 30-person um, company based in Charlotte, North Carolina. And they are, they're basically a tree service. So, you know, when your, your tree dies in your backyard, you call them up and they come and remove it. And, you know, I think that uh, it would be easy if you were the head of Heartwood Tree to kind of just think about your business on a kind of a job, spec, cost plus, transactional basis and, and then run your business as such. The problem with that approach is that I think you end up commoditizing what you do and you you kind of bury yourself into a hole where all you're doing is competing on price. And if you don't have the lowest price compared to the next tree service company, you're out of luck. And I think, you know, none of us want to be in that position where price is the, the main reason why someone would pick or not pick us. Um, we want to, to be known for creating value that people will pay for. And so um, the CEO of, of Heartwood Tree really has this emotional connection to trees, and he he works to cultivate that emotional connection um, with his clients. So he actually, and the people that work um, at Hardwood Tree, they, you know, on their website, they say we're, we're dedicated to, to the art of tree care. So they all care about trees, and, and their care uh, and emotional connection shows through in things like, you know, when they when they do have to remove a dead tree, they actually do a little, you know, ceremony um, that really celebrates the, how important trees are to our lives and to our communities and to our planet. Um, when, you know, when they, when, you know, when they're doing landscaping, they'll install a, a tree swing for people so that they can really have fun with their trees. And then... Um, even at Christmas time, the gift that they hand out to their clients is a little piece of mistletoe um, so that they can, you know, hand the gift to the client and explain the tradition of how kissing under the mistle tree came out, came to be. And all these ways are just are, may seem, you know, small and, and um, you know, kind of like the softer stuff of business, but I think that what Patrick George, a CEO, has discovered is that it really does make people value what he and his company do more. And so despite being the most expensive tree service in their area, they are also the most popular. They're also the one with the longest backlog because people want to work for them and they're willing to wait mm-hmm. to have them get their service done by them. So, you know, when you when you use this idea of your brand as standing something standing for something, you know, that's deeply important to people and you use that as a decision-making filter for how you run your business, you end up with a great brand like Heartwood Tree. 
Yeah, that's a great example. I think everybody wants to know, does this company care about the specific service that I'm in, whether it's Apple caring about technology and quality or, you know, everybody seems to um, try to define themselves in their category, and I, I think that goes a long way. I had a, uh, as I was looking through your book, I found a really interesting point that I just wanted to see if you could comment on. You talk about how great brands don't chase customers. Um, what do you mean by that? Why, why great brands don't chase <laughs> customers? Right. Um, you know, what I've discovered is that great brands are very clear about what they stand for and who they are, what kind of customer they're for. And they are willing to make that known and they um, you know, shine their kind of brand identity and their brand values very very strongly and and um, you know saliently, consistently, intensely, kind of like a lighthouse. And in doing so, they attract like-minded customers to them. Now, at the same time, that probably also means that they you know detract or repel some people who who that kind of thing doesn't appeal to them. And um, great brands are okay with that. They know that they're not for everyone. That they are better uh, off. Uh, focusing on those customers who are going to be their most loyal, profitable customers, and they're okay with not chasing everyone else that's out there. So well, I, I think that Matt. I, well, I want to just say this. I think Matt brought up that question just so that you would be. That was directed at me um, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> because Matt knows uh, I'll. I'll 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 meet I'll run into someone that's like, hey, I'm doing this project in Iraq and it's really cool and we're gonna do this and we're gonna import that <laughs> and I'm like, oh, let's do it. That sounds great. And and Matt and Matt, Mark, let's remember our brand. What are we doing here? And I'm like, oh, well, you're right. And, I don't want to be on a watch yeah, list. And, and, <laughs> and while you're while you're helping the you know the nonprofit in Iraq, what's happening is that those customers who are really most important to your business are you know, waiting in line behind them, you know, and so it really does affect the kind of relationship that you can build with those customers that you really want if you're always distracted by lots of other kinds of customers out there. Well, I was just going to talk about when you were talking about branding. I mean, I think sometimes when I think of branding, I think of advertising, and that's probably very uh, way off the mark, I think. Um, Branding takes in a lot more than just uh, advertising, as you're talking about culture here. Um, mm-hmm. what's, if you could focus maybe on a small business owner starting out in any industry category, um, what are some successful strategies, or, may, or maybe you could give a specific example if that's easier, of starting from small, which a lot of our clients would be you know, the small, medium-sized, family-run businesses, and developing a culture that that helps build your brand. Mhm. Mhm. Well, I think the first step is to be clear yourself. You know, you as a business owner or maybe you and your partners who own the business, you need to be crystal clear on what you stand for and what your values are and what are the distinctive differentiating attributes and values of your business. And um, you know, oftentimes it doesn't. It, that's not a. It's not a long or difficult process, but it is one that requires you all to get on the same page. And and when I say same page, I literally mean you know write it down. You know, make make sure that you have a very clear statement of what you stand for, what you believe in, what are your key differentiators, etc. 
And once you have that, then it's your responsibility to ensure, A, that you use those, you know, those strategies and those concepts that you just laid out as decision-making filters for the way you run your business. And then you have the responsibility to engage your employees so that they understand and embrace them as well. Um, oftentimes, um, uh, you might take for granted, oh, well, everyone knows, you know, everyone knows why we're in business or everyone knows what's important. And, you know, frankly, I, I don't know if you can make those kinds of assumptions. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're doing things right, yes, you're hiring good quality people and, you know, they're hard workers, et cetera, et cetera. But how many of your employees can really articulate who are the kinds of customers that we want to prioritize? Or what really makes us different and better than our competitors? What makes us worth paying more for than our competitors? And if, and if your own, if you or your employees don't get that, how can you expect your customers to get it? So I think it really starts with, with that clarity and alignment and focus from the very beginning, and then just you know, again, going back to the to the idea of you know, uh, having the discipline and the you know willingness to to stick with it, even when you're presented with other opportunities that might take you off course. Now there well, are well, there are oh oh I, I, I just want to interject there, this. Yeah. yeah go ahead uh huh no go ahead no go ahead finish that thought I was just going to you know there's some some specific tools and approaches that that I've used with my clients such as you can actually develop a you know a brand guide whether that's a printed workbook or a printed manual or it's an online resource or a mobile app that has a really, you know, uh, engaging presentation of what your brand stands for that you share with your employees, um, and then, you know, so you're almost, um, you could almost say you're using kind of some of the things that you would normally use to advertise yourself externally, so you're actually using internally to engage your people with first, and then from there, then I think you can go out and, and you know, start start communicating that externally. But using something like a brand guide or a, a brand toolbox that has different, um, different you know, decision-making tools or different processes or different um, stories or case studies or examples that you want to include in there, all of that is really great um, fodder for you to share with your employees. Well, I... Um Great info here. And, and folks, if you're just joining us, we're here with Denise Yon. Uh, her website, Denise Lee Yon, will be, uh, that's Denise, D-E-N-I-S-E-L-E-E, Yon, Y-O-H-N.com. We'll uh, share that uh, contact information again, I'm sure. But uh, author of the book, What Great Brands Do and the Seven Brand Building Principles. And her book is that type of guide or workbook to help you start branding your business it's it's just fantastic, and we're grateful to have her with us today. If any of you have a question, please, you can call in live and, and speak with us by calling in 646-200-4285. If you have a question for Denise, that's 646-200-4285. Or I, um, I'll just kind of be the filter here. If you want to email me, uh, you can mark at markjkohler.com. And I've uh, uh, also got an email question already from Eric. He asked, uh, Denise, I know this may sound basic, but what is the difference between advertising and branding? How would you define the difference? Hmm. So advertising, I would say, are you know, specific efforts that you use to communicate your brand. So like a campaign, like a print ad that you might run in a newspaper or in a magazine um, or a web web um, internet ad or a web banner or um, 
even, you know, maybe I would consider like social media posts and things like that to be a form of advertising where you are um, actively engaged in an effort to communicate about your brand to your target audience. Um, the word branding, I think, is used more when you're just talking about actually the visual identity of your brand. So that is your logo. It's your, your colors, um, the, the typeface that you use, um, as well as the, maybe the lines and messaging, the key phrases or taglines that you might use with your business as well. All of that would be considered branding. Now, um, so hopefully that explains the difference, but I would say that there's a third uh, word or third term that we need to define, which I use, which is brand building. And that has to do more with kind of things we've been talking about so far, which is about cultivating a strong brand culture inside your company, um, having a very clear customer strategy. Um, those are, are brand building efforts that are much more about you know, how you run your company that, again, you may choose to advertise or you may you know, want your branding elements to embody those, but that's, that's a separate bucket. So hopefully you can kind of see the difference between those three buckets or three terms. Denise, this is, this is Matt again. I've been going through your seven items here. So I, I, like, I like picking out the ones I want you to comment on and just letting you, letting you run with some of these comments, but I appreciate you taking the time. Um, uh, what about, you talk about great brands ignore trends and talked about Chipotle. Um, maybe you could describe that situation and, and why that was a success for them and how people should pay attention to that success story. Yeah, so this was back in the 1990s when um, we were kind of in, in a recessionary period, not as bad as the most recent Great Recession, but pretty bad. And yeah. So the, the trend in, in fast food at that time was um, all about lowering prices. And if you were around at that time, that's when Taco Bell introduced its 59 79 99-cent menu. And so mm. you know, all the other you know, fast food restaurants were all on this trend towards um, how much food can we give you for as low of a price as possible? But then there was a guy who loved burritos. His name was Steve Ells, and he wanted to offer something different. He actually decided that he wanted to create a restaurant concept that would offer a higher um, quality fare of Mexican food. And he, you know, designed an environment, you know, restaurant environment that was kind of several steps up from what a fast food restaurant was at that time. Um, you know, he decided that they would have fresh, you know, fresh, high-quality ingredients uh, prepared right in front of you um, by friendly, engaging service people, and that's how Chipotle Mexican Grill was born. And um, by creating this concept that actually ended up being a lot significantly more expensive than the, fat, uh, the other fast food alternatives. You know, Chipotle actually, Chipotle and Fidel's actually challenged that trend, you know, and, and said, we're not just going to be about lots of food for low price. We're going to change the value equation. And they actually ushered in a whole new different category of fast food in doing so. No, Mark here again. And Denise, great example. So, so interesting. I just love this. I know Matt and I have said oftentimes there's days where we just want to not do tax or legal work, but uh, just play around with our marketing plan. We have, we have like a 30-page marketing right. plan of all sorts of things. Way doing more fun than tax and legal. Way more wow. fun. 
Uh, we just love to dive into it. I was just talking to a client this morning where they said, this is weird to have your, you know, your partners and, and firm talking about marketing so much. But we feel it's like the lifeblood of business is that if your advisors, whether they are your legal or accounting firm, if they can't talk about marketing, then you've got the, the wrong advisors. They need to be able to speak that language. And So anyway, I was, I was just going to say what I'm taking from this, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that as we look at our marketing plan, so Matt and I pull out our list of we're doing the social media and we're doing the YouTube and the websites and the emails and blogs and all that stuff. Really, this brand is not just, like you said, the logo. It's really who we are. What, what type of clients do we serve? How do we serve people? And what makes us different? What's our, our, ni- our niche or niche? And, what, what do we, mm-hmm. and, and, and that whole thing is our brand. The brand the, defining the word brand is much more broad is what, what I got from your book and what you've talked about. Is that a fair assessment? That's exactly right. And I think that, you know, too often it's much, it's a lot more, it's a lot easier and a lot more fun to work on things like, oh, let's, you know, let's do social media or let's, you know, tweak our logo or whatever. It's a lot harder to say, you know, let's figure out a customer strategy and let's figure out who we're going to target and who we're not going to target and and then, Mm. you know, to actually do that. But I think that's how great brands are built. It's, 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 you know, I I don't mean to... um, diminish the importance of having great a great you know visual identity but you know you can come up with a great logo fairly easily it's a lot harder to come up with a great business and a great brand well i think of nordstrom's when you say that because i whenever i think Mm. of nordstrom's what i love about nordstrom's is you can take anything back I don't know, maybe, because that's just me. And, like, I love it. Whenever you buy a pair of shoes at Nordstrom's, you know, even if six months from now they don't fit, you go back to Nordstrom's, they'll hook you up. And and I love Nordstrom's for that. I once even took back these pair of shoes that were so destroyed. The guy just looked at me like I I was from another planet, but he just gritted his teeth and, and set me up with another pair of shoes. <laughs> Matt knows me, so that, that's, that's, that's Mark Kohler. But... Uh, <laughs> but that's branding, right? That's that's who you target, how you deal with your customers. That's a, that's Nordstrom's brand, right? I mean, they're just like yes, yeah, it everybody is. identifies and, with that at Nordstrom. Yeah, although I have to say that you know it, that actually is a great example because it shows the importance of every single employee understanding that that's what their brand stands for, mm. and you know it's a good thing that that guy knew that he was going to have to grit his teeth and just accept the return and to treat you, you know, respectfully regardless. And, and, you know, he didn't have that understanding. He didn't have that training. If, you know, he just thought that it was his, his job was to sell lots of stuff, then you would have a very different impression of Nordstrom. And over time, that brand idea that you have about them would, would deteriorate. So, you know, really, it really shows, like, okay, you need to be diligent and vigilant about making sure that everyone in your organization understands the kind of brand perception that you're trying to build. Well, I think that brings up the importance of staff meetings. I mean, Matt, you and I, we've, every staff meeting we're talking about those types of um, uh, kind of that uh, culture. And mm-hmm. um, I, I guess, Denise, how do you – is it, it starts at the most basic level, just having it on the wall, having the piece – the, the mission statements, having it in their staff meetings and conversations. Um, mm-hmm. 
How, uh, any techniques yeah. that this uh, that pe- people could consider using to get a, just a, a part of the business? Right, right. Well, I love the staff meeting, and in fact, it reminds me of um, I had done some work for Chevron, the the oil company, um, last year, and safety is their number one priority. And so, actually, every meeting that they hold, regardless of whether it's a board meeting, a you know company town hall, or just departmental meeting, every meeting they start off with a safety moment where someone actually shares something about safety. And it can be anything from, you know, how to make sure that you back up your computer so that your computer doesn't, you know, fall victim to viruses to, you know, holding the handrails when you're walking down the stairs. You know, just anything that has to do with safety. And they've really kind of developed this culture because it's such a present part of what they, you know, what they believe and what they talk about at every meeting. Um, So just little things like that are important. But I would say the framework that I would use to think about it is that you want to engage your people um, on three levels, their head, their heart, and then their hands and their feet. So the head part is do they understand what, you know, like what is distinctive about your firm? And, you know, all the things we've been talking about, do they understand your strategies and your values and your priorities? Uh, and do they understand the rationale for it? I mean, you don't just want you know people who kind of compare it back, you know, your mission statement. You want people who really understand it. Um, so that's the head, and then the heart is really about it, you know, motivating them to embrace it and to change their behaviors and change their attitudes as necessary in order to support your brand. Um, and you know, sometimes, and that's where you know some of these tools I was talking about in terms of kind of using what you might use as like external advertising, actually internally, I think can be very effective in that in that regard. But then the last level is really hands and feet, and really, I think being very specific about what your expectations are. Um, helping them, giving them the tools and resources they need. So if you say that, you know, we're all about um, going the extra mile for our clients, well, that's that's a nice thing to say, and, you know, they might want to do that. But if you don't, for example, give them the, you know, budget authority to actually send some money if they need to in order to go the extra mile for a client, then you really haven't enabled them to deliver the brand through their hands and their feet. And so, you know, by training them and by giving them the resources they need and by giving them examples, showing them examples, having them share examples among each other, um, all of those things I think really help them understand, okay, this is how I do my job every day. And that's probably the most important piece. So it's the head, the heart, and then the hands and the feet. Like it, like that application. Um, I was just going to ask you. I know our time's getting short here, so and I appreciate Denise for coming on. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to get a final insight from you in terms of we've talked about the niche or niche marketing. I don't know, potato potato. I don't you know you know what I mean. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but we talked about that a little bit, and I a lot of times I you know I'm talking to a client on a phone. You know we're in a legal consult or we're talking about starting someone's business. And, you know, some people are very specific about, all right, here's what I'm doing. It's a really specific branding really, or business strategy in terms of they want to fill a niche. Um, other people are, you know, I'm getting into whatever business industry it is and I'm out for anything and I'm going to go as a, you know, general type strategy. Um, what are your thoughts on, on, you know, someone entering into, a, you know, some mm-hmm. a business category, whatever mm-hmm. it is, and... Um, you know, the importance or maybe drawbacks, I don't know, to going into a niche area. Right. Well, let's let's approach this by kind of working backwards. Let's start with what you want 
to ultimately happen. And that is for your customers to decide that they're going to buy your service or your product, right? I mean, that's, right. that's yep. what you want, okay? So how do you make that happen? Well, I will say, generally speaking, there are two things that you could say about buyers. One is that um, they are uh, generally wanting to reduce risk. When they when they hire someone or buy something, I mean they're they're putting out their hard earned money or you know their company's budget in order to hire you, and so they want to make sure that they're not throwing money after something that's not going to work out. Um, so one of the things you need to do is you need to reduce the reduce the perceived risk of hiring you. The second thing is that they probably have lots and lots of choices out there. Practically every category, every sector that you can imagine has way more options than they really people need. And so a lot of what buyers are doing is trying to kind of, um, you know, looking for things that stand out and kind of eliminating all of the, like, the clutter and stuff that doesn't. And so um, what you need to do is you need to make sure you stand out. And I think that in, to address both of those needs, both to reduce the perceived risk of buying you as well as to stand out, is that you need to be very clear about what your expertise is and what your differentiation is. And the best way that I, I know to be considered an expert or to be considered kind of like the, the authority in this area, you know, to stand out and make people feel like, okay, you know what you're doing, is to specialize. And to say, you know, I know, um, you know, I know, if in my case, it would be I know retail and restaurant brands very well. And I know exactly the kinds of problems that most companies have. And I know the kinds of solutions and approaches that can help these companies grow and succeed. You know, if for a small business, it might be, you know, um, I, I know that um, families in this income range are the kinds of clients that we, we know what kinds of priorities they have. We know where they are kind of in their life planning. Um, we know the kinds of pitfalls that usually they run into when they get to be this certain income or a certain age. And so we focus on, those, on that segment. And by, by establishing yourself as an expertise in a particular market, you, you really do become this perceived expert. And people are, so the next time someone, you know, asks a friend, hey, you know, I'm looking for someone who can, you know, advise me in this particular area, they say, well, these guys, they're experts in, in people like you or they only work well, with people like you. And I think that really I'd like helps, to, and you know. Go ahead. And Denise, on, on that note, I just want to interject that you are that person we, <laughs> when it comes to branding. <laughs> We uh, we uh, we love your book, and we're here at the close of the hour. So I just wanted to uh, again re say thank you for coming out, and folks get to Amazon. Uh, what great brands do? Uh, just Google that, get on Amazon, and pick up a copy of her book. And also her website is phenomenal. Lots of great information. That's Denise D E N I S E Lee L E E Yon Y O H N dot com. Um, and, and Denise, thanks so much for coming out. We really appreciate it. And it was a lot of fun. I'm so glad to talk with both of you. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Denise. Well, pleasure. Yes, <laughs> and <laughs> thank you. We hope to have you back. And I want to say thank you Sounds to all great. of you, our listeners. We, uh, we appreciate you coming out and being with us today. We hope that uh, we'll catch you next week. And soon uh, we'll be announcing our uh, new radio show brand, our branding ourselves as a, a new uh, show, go. Mark and Matt. Yeah, there you go, Matt. We're going to refresh it. 
I like it. Fresh. We're going to refresh it. Yeah, it's going to be fresh. <laughs> it's going to be fresh. Well, thanks, everyone. We'll see you next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Thanks, Matt. And uh, until then, keep living the dream. 